0: Um, as Albert said, named Steve Wiska. It is very good to be here again. Um, just love this congregation. Um, it is just, it's a joy for us, and we love this town too. Um, date day, we find ourselves often in Frederick. You guys are richer than you know. Um, very few communities like this are just pleasant in that way. Um, I got to look over what Albert had shared with you the past four weeks as far as an intro for 2022. So a high priest for 2022, prayer for 2022, the word and a commandment. And these are just such foundational messages, and I just thought it was a great intro for launching off this year. Now, I think what God's given me today is going to dovetail real nicely with that uh, for the next two weeks. So this week, we want to focus on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and next week, we want to focus on living by the Spirit. So, you know, what, what does that mean? Um, And uh, our sister just started us off great in prayer, so we'll just just jump right in. Okay, the Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity, right? Trinity. As a quick primer, the Trinity is a doctrine that God is three persons, each person is fully God, and there is one God. Okay, wrap your brain around that and let it just fall apart, okay? Because amazingly, there's no analogy in all of earth— in anything in creation or thought that uh, that shows that Scripture never gives us an analogy, and and they, Scripture uses analogy, right? Jesus is the door, and He's a shepherd, and you know, um, Spirit is breath and fire and stuff like that. But you're not going to find that in the Trinity. It's such a beautiful, awesome thing. But the fact that our God is Trinitarian is amazing. And it's evident right from the opening uh, verses of Scripture. I'm going to grab one right out of Luke, which is classic. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So there in one verse, father, son, and spirit, all interacting, all God, one God, only God, you know, just, just, just an amazing thing. So our, our brains are just a little bit thrown, but today what we want to do is focus on, okay, the Holy Spirit, that person of Godhead, who is he and what does he do? Wayne Grudem has uh, this definition. I've found it very good as far as the activity of the Holy Spirit. If we were to read through the Bible, what we're going to find about the Holy Spirit is that the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So as an example, right from the beginning of the Bible, opening verses, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there, right at the outset, God is about to create. Jesus, we know, is the creator. And the Holy Spirit is there acting right at the beginning. So when we get to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit gets very pronounced. And by the end of this message, we're going to see why. But he's there all through the Old Testament. So we're just going to run through a bunch of examples and just do a quick uh, Bible scan. Bezalel. All right, Exodus 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Joshua in Deuteronomy, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Gideon. And judges, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites, I'm going to give a shot of that, were called out to follow him. What about Samson? Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. We'll keep on going. Saul. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Keep on going, David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Daniel. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Micah. But as for me, Micah says, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. All right, just that was a nice quick smattering. What's really cool was not only men and women did the Holy Spirit move upon, but at times groups leaders. So let's look at Numbers 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, you gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. Now, what I love about that last passage is Moses' comment when something goes a little bit not according to plan. Let's read that together in Numbers 11. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, so they were part of the 70, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. What a statement. Would that. Oh, yes. Would that. Now that brief scan of passages drives home several things. One, it was not the heroics of men and women that was key in God's plan of redemption, but the activity of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit again and again, moved, empowered these things. It was God who was doing stuff. And Two, we see that the Spirit in the Old Testament was often given in measure for a particular purpose, for a particular event, for a particular skill. In fact, the stories of Samson and Saul show that you can also lose the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Judges 16. And she, Delilah, said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Wow. I got this. No, you don't. God's not there. And all you got left is Samson. And that ain't much. That ain't nothing. Wow. What a contrast. Samson with the spirit of God that the Philistines could not conquer, even if they send an army against him. Samson without the spirit of God. How about Saul? First Samuel 16. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So here we see Saul did not just lose the empowering of spirit for the purpose of leading the people of Israel He received judgment. David got to witness this firsthand. Remember, that's why David came into Saul's court in the first place, to play the harp when the spirit was tormenting him. And so it may be that David being very aware of this when he's praying in Psalm 51, that's exactly what he's thinking of because he similarly disobeyed God, didn't he? And he knew what could be coming. So he prays, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Wow. But this spirit, the third person of the Trinity is the one who enabled men and women to act in ways that glorify God and moved his purposes forward. So that's part of the Old Testament, But the bigger picture that we read when we're reading the Old Testament and all the stories, I think is this, how quickly and frequently the people of God fail again and again to obey, to trust, to believe. I mean, it's just, oh, come on, again? We're doing this again? Um, So there's two sections of scripture that I really love that I think really highlight this. Um, First one, one would be Moses and one would be Elijah. Now, what I think is really cool here is recognize Moses and Elijah are the two people that show up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration right before he's going to the cross. Remember, Peter has, you know, he wakes up and all of a sudden you you got Jesus there transfigured. you got Moses and Elijah speaking with him. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, it's said that they represent the law and the prophets, and I believe that's true. what we're going to read, I think there might be another angle to this. To me, Moses and Elijah are two people that stand out prominent in the Old Testament for desiring and working to get the people of God to obey and believe. They labored at it. And let's see how well they did. Um, Which by the way, when Jesus was talking to them, he, it says in Luke, he appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Both these men worked to see Israel move forward. They not only failed at being able to do that, they both personally failed. How kind of God that he allows them to be with Jesus saying, watch this guys. Now we're going to do this. All right. If you sit down and read the story of Israel in the wilderness, okay. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. um, It is painful. Um, These people witness the miraculous intervention of God in degrees that we could just never fathom. And they still don't repent and obey. And you sit there and you think, how can they be so dense? That's that's what goes through my brain. And then I just realized, um, I do the same things. I've seen God move in amazing ways. And I have disbelieved him. And I've fallen short. But I think one thing that section of scripture does for me is say, you ever hear people say, you know what? If I just saw an angel... Or if I just saw a miracle, I'd believe God. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> we got story after story. We got thousands of people done it. didn't work. Signs and wonders are awesome, but that's what they are. They're signs and wonders, they're not conversion. So let's check out this story. This is uh, Korah, Dothan, and Abiram in number 16. First, the setting. Remember, this is Israel after seeing all the powerful plagues in Egypt, the fire, the hail, the frogs, the rivers of blood. This is after Israel has walked through this sea on dry ground, made it to the other side and seen the sea close over the largest, most powerful army on earth and destroy them. This is Israel who shows up at a mountain and there is smoke and fire and peals of thunder that they are sorely afraid. This is Israel, who is hungry and thirsty, and God miraculously provides water, and then manna and quail, and does these things with like people like, how can you possibly feed these people? Oh, I've got this. All right, so, <laughs> time after time, you sit there go like, and how many other times did God have to show his power and discipline them and, and wake them up? So, but you think they'd be finally getting it here now in Numbers. Korah, Dothan, and Abiram lead a rebellion of 250 leaders against Moses and Aaron. And we'll pick up the story. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down into Sheol alive, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. That's pretty high bar, Moses. <laughs> really? Really? And as soon as he had finished speaking the words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, let the earth swallow us up. Wow. All right, that should settle everything. I've never seen that happen. That's, that's impressive. Now maybe the people will finally fear and obey. It is, verse 34, verse 41, seven verses later. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses, and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. <laughs> All right, you got to put yourself in Moses' shoes for a minute. Yeah, I mean, when, when, they, when they said that, I just, what was he thinking? I mean, like, all right, you're there. They just said, you have killed, and you're de- <laughs> did you not hear what I said yesterday? <laughs> Do you really think I can pull this off? I mean, <laughs> I'd be despairing, wouldn't you? Now, Elijah. Um, and this is a great story. Uh, everybody's been in children's ministry knows the story. It's one of the more demonstrable activities of God, I think, in the Old Testament. Remember the backstory. Israel, led by Ahab and Jezebel, ha- are strongly following Baal worship. Israel has given itself over to Baal worship. At this point, they, they are just, they're just totally in. And they have, at least to Elijah's awareness, killed all the priests of the Lord. So Elijah appears to Ahab, 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And he gets out of there quick because Ahab's gonna wanna kill him. God has gotta protect Elijah. How's he do it? He sticks him by this little brook and hides them. Well, he's got to get some food and water, huh? Water we got, we got a brook. How are we going to get food so nobody sees them? I'm going to send them ravens every day, every morning and every evening, and they're going to bring him bread and meat. And that's how he eats and that's how he drinks. That's that's never happened to me. That's pretty cool. The brook eventually dries up. And so then God goes ahead and moves him to Sidon, which is just outside the territory of Israel. And believe it or not, a few miles from Jezebel's hometown. There, God sends him a widow. And through another miracle, God provides for the widow, her son, and Elijah one jar of oil and one jar of flour that never run out. We got pancakes every day and night, <laughs> as long as this drought holds on. That's amazing. So after three and a half years of drought, Elijah confronts Ahab, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. They got Israel and everybody up on Mount Carmel. Everybody wants to see this. Now, what you have to know is that Baal is a God who controls fire and lightning. So when Elijah says, okay, we're gonna set up a contest. We'll both make a sacrifice. And the God who answers by igniting the sacrifice, that person's God. Now, if you're a Baal worshiper, hey, this is my God. This is his, this is his, this is his place. This is what he does. Not a problem. And guess what? The odds are 450 against one. Not bad. You know the story? No response from the God, the Baal, even though that the prophets are Cutting themselves and screaming, and you got Elijah just loving it. He is mocking them. He's 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 playing into this. You know, where's your gods? He's going to the bathroom. Where's your gods? He's on vacation. You know, nothing's happening. So now it's Elijah's turn, and he wants to up the ante. Four large stone jars. Pour it over the sacrifice. It goes over the sacrifice. It soaks the wood. It comes down the stone altar. It fills up the trench. Praise God moves. Sacrifice wood, water, all burned up, and stones. You know what? Lightning would not destroy stones. This is (laughs) this is fire from God. It's just oh, convincing. Matter of fact, so convincing. You got all the people there shouting, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." You know what Elijah's name means? The Lord, he is God. So Elijah standing there and what's he hearing? Shouting, Elijah, Elijah. Oh my gosh, this is heady. This is big. Kill all the priests of battle. They do it. Slaughter, done, 450. All right, we're stopping this Baal worship. We're stopping it, good. Goes up on the mountain, gets on his knees, prays, prays again. A little cloud starts coming. Hey guys, the drought's over. Be able to hurry up, Ahab, and get home because a flood is coming. Now, Ahab, so filled with the Spirit, pulls up his robe and outruns a chariot, outruns Ahab to Jezreel. I mean, this is just, I mean, glory upon glory upon glory. It's over. The people love God. There's no more Baal worship. We've got it done. And he shows up and Jezebel leans out the window and says, by this time tomorrow, you will be as those prophets. You're a dead man. And in a moment, Elijah realizes nothing changed. The people have not turned heart and soul to God. Bow worship is not over. Despite the fire, despite the miracles, nothing's changed. He falls into despair. He wanders off into the desert. And God has to meet him and say, it's okay, Elijah. We got this. And he tells him to anoint three different people. He says, you know, the one that Haziel doesn't kill, Jehu will kill. The one who Jehu doesn't kill, Elisha will kill. He sets up with this long-term plan over decades of how things are going to play out. My purposes aren't stopping. So when I look at these stories, I just sit here and say, God, (laughs) what does it take? God knew that it took more. All the interventions of prophets, kings, wars, nothing worked, right? So what does it say in Jeremiah 31? and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We needed a better and a new covenant. We needed a better and new high priest, as Albert shared a couple weeks ago. Hebrews, but as it is, Christ has attained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he meets is better, since it is enacted on better promises. As God's got to be living within you. That's a pretty good promise. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So for this covenant to be enacted, remember a covenant has to have blood shed. Jesus had to die. He had to go to heaven. He had to be raised to life again. Only then... Could the Holy Spirit be given? Having completed his mission, Jesus ascends into heaven, sends the promised Holy Spirit, and what a difference. In one day, 3,000 people become genuine believers and the Holy Spirit's just getting warmed up. Couldn't make this happen for thousands of years. One day, Holy Spirit, boom, gone that difference between new covenant and old covenant could probably most clearly be seen in the disciples themselves because they are old covenant believers who become new covenant believers. Think about it. Peter, he believed Jesus was a Christ. Matthew 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, And Peter ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So somehow in the uh, backdraft of Jesus' power, they're actually able to go out and do this stuff. He was committed. Matthew 26, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same and he failed miserably. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Peter's denial story is in all four of the Gospels. There are very few stories that are in all four of the Gospels. Why Peter's story? Is it like, let's beat up on Peter? You know, (laughs) he's gotten too much uh, play. We want to take him down a notch or two. Or is it that Peter... Is the epitome of a man who is strong, outspoken, passionate, courageous. Like if anybody could follow Jesus, Peter could do this. But it wasn't enough. Matthew 26. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I tried, God. I tried. I so wonder, I I swore to myself, I'm going to do this. I can't do it. It's just broken. Jesus raises from the dead, and one of the first people he sees is Peter. Meets him, encourages him, meets the other disciples, encourages them, puts them back together. But then what does he say? He tells them, this is very important, wait for the spirit. Luke 24, behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the spirit, in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't leave there, wait. This is important. <laughs> Don't be Samson. You're not gonna pull this off this picture of a change in a group of men who had everything you think one would need to walk and follow God, but failed miserably apart from the spirit of God is instructive for us. This is so underlining, highlighting our need for God, our need for his spirit. And this is what he gives us himself. This is the new covenant. Do you remember? Remember, the primary role of the Holy Spirit, the Wayne Gruden definition we shared at the beginning, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially the church. This baptism in the Spirit is Jesus' fulfillment of what he says to the disciples. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. All right, that's the history. Now we're today, 2022. The great thing is for us is that everybody who came to faith after this time comes with the spirit. The spirit is one package of our introduction into Christ. We are born into Christ. We are born to spirit. When we come alive into Christ, we come alive with the Holy spirit. He is in our hearts. He is dwelling in our hearts. It's, it's 100% Holy spirit, not 2% Holy spirit. He is there. He is alive. We are changed. We are living in this new covenant age. And we see that if we look over 2,000 years of history. Israel could hardly keep it together. You could hardly keep that nation there. It's like, like, what are we going to do before this thing dissolves? And since that time, the word has gone forth. And there's been nation after nation and people after people and generation after generation, despite all kinds of conflict, despite all kinds of assaults inside and outside, because all kinds of temptations. The word of God is throughout the world. I love, uh, they got this one thing on the internet. Um, it, it comes from one of the video games where they just show the expansion of the gospel on a map. You know, and it starts with Jerusalem and it pulls out, and you see the growth of other um, faiths. But you just see the picture of how it just moved across the whole face of the world. And millions, millions. True, genuine believers ready to lay down their lives for Christ, live because of a covenant, because of the Holy Spirit living within them. This is our inheritance. Now, I'm sure that each one of us has experienced the Holy Spirit differently. Some of you came to faith over time. You cannot give a salvation date. Others not only have a date, they got an hour and a minute, okay? 2.45 on January 2nd. Now, some of you were wooed by the Spirit. Over the years, your desires, your affections, your convictions progressively altered. People who knew you back then would not recognize you now. There's others of you. Who were probably stopped, like in your tracks, with a two by four. Okay, Um, uh, you changed so quickly and dramatically that you were surprised and confused when other patterns of sin did not dissolve overnight. Also, had you missed something? This is very important. It's probably the theme of today's message. It's not about experience. It's about reality. The Holy Spirit was given to you and dwells within your heart. Um, There's a chart here that Wayne Grudem uses. He actually adapted it from uh, George Ladd in The Theology of the Old Testament. And uh, I really like this. So you see that over the timeline, the Holy Spirit has always been present. Up until Pentecost in a lesser measure, after Pentecost in a higher measure, and the little... Lines going up to Pentecost, you see at times of activity of the Holy Spirit that just kind of moved through different prophets and people. And now we're in this place, we are simultaneously living in two different ages. We are living in the present age, and we are also living in the age to come. The two have overlapped. We live in two simultaneous ages. And you know what? Christ's return has not happened yet. Now, to me, a chart like this is helpful in a number of ways. We've experienced the Holy Spirit, and you guys are all probably in different ways. Okay, yes? This is so good. I just want to stop you because I think it's really good. <laughs> but just so I understand, on the far left, if I look, it says this age. Yes. Thanks. Um, this age is actually all the way across. So that, that's this age. Our age right now? Our age right now included. Okay. So in other words, when, when the Bible talks about the present age, uh, the present age is uh, creation. Okay. So we're living in this present age and the age to come, we think of it in terms of when Jesus returns but it has already been initiated because Jesus, when he died and ascended, started the kingdom, okay? So you've got both coming along. We, we live in this world that has not been redeemed, okay? Um, plants still die, okay? Pollution's still out there. Jesus not returning me to anything whole, but, and I'm, I'm gonna elaborate on this a little bit more, <laughs> but something's transpired. Jesus inaugurated a kingdom and the kingdom has started. The age to come has been birthed. Is it here fully? No, but it started. So we're in this unusual place because we, in one sense, have our feet still in the mud and we also are breathing incredible fresh air. And I think this is very instructive for us when we're trying to put together this This life in the Spirit, which we're going to go into more detail in next week. So, you know, like, I got the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? What do I do with it? And this is kind of to give you that kind of a bearing. The Holy Spirit came, broke in, but it's not all over. It's not all there. I think of it this way too. Um, If I'm trying to make a decision for life, all right? I need to live now, right, in this present age. (laughs) I need to live in Frederick, Maryland. Um, Who should I marry? Where should I live? Should I take this job? What do I do about world hunger? What about the pandemic? What about the possible war with Russia? What about the political turmoil in my country? I got to deal with this. What do I do? To me, whenever I'm uncertain about things, I go to the things that I am certain about. I use those as anchors and as blocks to frame saying, okay, it's got to be within here. This is part of that block. Jesus died and rose and the Holy Spirit was sent. The church has been born. Jesus is returning. And He's set us a mission and we're not in heaven yet. So I'm living in this pre- present age filled with sickness, death, and despair. And with a taste of the future. I live in the already and the not yet. So unless Jesus returns soon, I'm going to die and get put in the ground. I am supposed to age. Okay. (laughs) That's normal. And yet James five, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. There is wars going on. (laughs) You just open the paper every day. And rumors of war. Matthew 24. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. And yet, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. All right, there's some pretty awful people out there in the street and in the news. Second Timothy three, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Matthew twenty four, and this gospel, of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So as you open up the life of your map and just look, where am I? Recognize this is where we're at. The Holy Spirit has come, has been born into your heart. Jesus has not come yet. And until that day, everything will not be made right. We live in a tension And we live with a real Holy Spirit within us. That's your framework for the experience of what do I do as a believer and how do I live tomorrow? Next week, that's what we'll go into. We'll go into those details. What does that look like? Let's pray.